Hello and welcome to The Double Double. My name is David Dixon and this week, which is Christmas and Hanukkah, I want to wish everyone a happy holidays for whatever you celebrate. And this week we got to keep the content churning, a lot of podcasts coming, we got a lot of interesting guests coming up. First, we're going to have the inaugural debut episode of my little brother, Michael. He's a freshman at Sarah Lawrence College in Westchester, New York, specifically Bronxville. And he is a diehard Eagles fan. Somehow he went against the family and became an Eagles fan. And he was in attendance at Lincoln Financial Field on Sunday for the big game versus the Cowboys. So we're going to have him on and break that down and break down week 16. Wow, it's flown by week 16 of the NFL season. Uh, later on, we'll have Coach Sass on. Talk. We're not going to. Unfortunately, we're not going to talk about any Pratt hoops today. We're going to talk about all Ohio State football and the college football playoff because that those games are on Saturday. And then later in the week, we're going to have Taylor Silver back on to break down the week 17 of the NFL and the college football playoff. So a lot of good content this week. A lot of exciting stuff. Uh, we got the Christmas Day basketball games as well. Uh, so. I'll probably do a little bit of uh, NBA on my own, break down the MVP rankings at a, later on this week, but we're going to do a lot of football on, on this episode and hope you enjoy. So, Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, David. It is an honor and a privilege to be here in Brooklyn, New York with you. Um, longtime listener, first time appearing on the show, and I'm, I'm just thrilled to be able to talk Eagles, talk football, and, you know, Talk sports, talk life. Maybe we can get to a little Star Wars at the end with you. I'm just really happy. I'm really happy to be here, man. Well, we're we're happy to have you on, and we are an official spoiler-free podcast. So we'll have to put a big warning up at at the end if we do if we have time for Star Wars because I know you're you're very busy. So let's just jump right into it, okay? Mm-hmm. Week 16, the Cowboys, if they win, win the division. The Eagles win. They need to beat my New York Giants next week, and then they're in. Basically, the NFC East title was on the line. So mm-hmm. going into the game, were you concerned, nervous, or excited for this opportunity? I got to be honest with you, David. I'm a pretty hopeful fan. I try not to be an, you know, uh, too pessimistic or too antagonistic about anything. But uh, I was pretty nervous for this one. I mean, the Cowboys looked just truly awesome against the Rams. Uh, they, looked, they looked like a real strong football team. I'm pretty sure they hung up over 40 points against them. So coming into the link, I was worried how we were going to stop Zeke. I was worried how we were going to contain Dak. Dak always seems to have our numbers. Um, we had not before last night beaten the, the uh, Dallas Cowboys in a game where Ezekiel Elliott played. Our only wins came against uh, games he was injured or suspended for. Um, so I was pretty nervous. I'm not going to lie to you. I was I was pretty I was pretty nervous for the game. But um, when we got out to that hot start, we got that. We got that uh, first field goal, which for a lot of teams, they don't celebrate field goals for us. Our first course have been so sloppy and uh, pretty hard to watch. To get any points on our first drive was pretty exciting. But then for, to me, I, I started to gain, become more hopeful when we, uh, we got that first three and out on the Dallas Cowboys. That's when I, thought, I started to believe and look around like, hey, we might actually be able to, to win this sucker. So, so was the environment in the crowd, was it nervous energy? Was it, you know optimistic because the this Eagles team coming into this game was seven and seven high expectations uh 
and to be fair, you guys have had a inconsistent season and haven't really lived up to it. So, uh, was what was the you know temperament or the feeling in in the crowd on Sunday? You know, I've been to a number of Eagles games over my life, and uh, the energy is honestly, is honestly pretty consistent. It's usually a a, a giddy, gleeful, hopeful joy. Uh, the guys next to us started talking to us about the game. They asked me what I thought about Miles Sanders, Jordan Howard, if I would extend him. Uh, our cornerbacks coming back healthy, although I didn't stay that way. Darby got hurt. Um, so the Eagles fans are always a pretty like giddy group to start the game. Um, always helped by the Miller Lite that they 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 give out free pretty uh, handsomely at the game. Those big Miller Lights uh, tend to make the fans a little more cheery. But uh, like I said, I think. And the, I think in the stadium after that first three and out, like, like I said, I've been a lot to a lot of Eagles game. Like that first cheer was was something was something else when Jenkins got that tipped pass. Uh, I think everybody sort of started to believe, like, hey, like we can really we can really take this team. And the NFC East is really we control our own destiny. And so, like as the game went on, like I think the players wanted it more than the Cowboys did, and I think the fans absolutely wanted it just as much as the players did. And uh, so I think I think everybody was probably a little nervous to start the game, you know. It's Dallas week. That always makes people nervous. But as the game went on, I think people started to feel really, really good about our chances to win this thing. Yeah, so so let's break it down. Some, so so you're talking about this this early drive. Let's let's get into the nitty-gritty of the game. I, I think the first two plays really signified the Eagles season so far. So first play of the game, you guys get a 25-yard completion. Mm-hmm. Next play, false start. It's like one step forward, two steps back. Mm-hmm. Uh that's kind of been the whole season, but mm-hmm. you know, you you put together a drive. You would have loved to score a touchdown, and then the Cowboys get the ball and they go three and out. What you know? You mentioned how they haven't won with Zeke, and when you're watching the game, and you know, we just talk about the first couple of drives, but you go further and further through through the game. It, Zeke never really got going, right? And you kind of forced Dak to throw the ball a lot. He was 25 for 44. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Carson looked good. You know, you got to say that, that especially that, that first quarter, Carson looked really good. He's gotten a lot of criticism this year. And his defenders will say, well, because he only has one really healthy wide receiver. Greg Ward played well, but he was signed off the practice squad, I think, two weeks ago. And then his detractors will say, if he's an MVP, he'll make it work. Right. And so kind of what did you see out of Carson yesterday that, you know, are you a true defender? Are you – Hey, Nick Foles won the Super Bowl, not Carson Wentz. Like, where are you on on, on the Carson scale? Uh, I'm a pretty diehard Carson Wentz supporter. I will defend him to the ends of the earth. Uh, I just think <clears throat> I've you know I've seen a lot of quarterback play in that 2017 season. I, he was my MVP, obviously, because you know Eagles fan, and you know he led us to he was we were 11 and two before he went down and helped us get that Rams win. So I think of us as 12 and two with him. Uh, I'm sorry, we were 11 and two with the Rams. I'm pretty sure. Uh, and I just don't think I don't think many quarterbacks can win the MVP. And so I think when you have a guy like that who can win the MVP, you have to extend. Like people talk about like Jameis Winston inconsistency. It's like Winston's never the MVP of the. He's never going to be the MVP of the league. So even in Winston's down parts, I'm like, guys, remember this is a this is a dude who can absolutely be the the best player in the league. So when we, he got that big extension, I was thrilled because I knew it's going to set the market because other quarterbacks are going to come for their money and. What happened? Jared Goff got that big contract of his own, and now Jared Goff looks horribly overpaid. And Carson Wentz is stringing together three games in a row with a real good chance to get a fourth one against the Giants and win the NFC East and get some playoff experience under his belt. Um, 
this game actually reminded me a lot of the Giants game a couple weeks ago. I think I think we started off stronger than we have been. Then our offense got into a little bit of a lull in the second and third quarter, but then we were able to sort of end, we were able to end it kind of strong in the uh, second half of the third and the fourth quarter. Um, so I'm a, I'm a big time Carson Wentz defender, and this is a this was a big time showing for him. He obviously helped out by some of the young guys, like you said. Greg Ward had a real nice game. Pretty sure four cat four catches for 70 yards. Uh, Dallas Goddard nine catches for 90 and a big time score. Um, our our Thago Whiteside uh, making finally making a couple big time catches. Uh, quiet the rest of the night, but that first drive he was big. Um, so I think. We, he got some help from the, some of the youth movement we've been instilling with Jeffrey Jackson and uh, Aguilar out, but I thought this was a, this was a signature win, a must-win game at home for the playoffs against a team that looked really good a week before, and and Ginger Jesus delivered for us. Yeah, and you know we talk a lot about Wentz, but this really was also the Miles Sanders show. He had 20 carries for 79 mm-hmm. yards, five catches for 77 more. You know when when you think about the the Eagles for. For the last few years, they've they've really, especially the Super Bowl year, they went with the running back by committee approach, having three or four backs who were all kind of change of pace or power. You think about Darren Sproles, Jay Ajayi, mm-hmm. uh, guys who could do a, a lot of different things. And now you seemingly have found your guy in in Miles Sanders, teammate of Saquon Barkley at, <laughs> at Penn State, my guy. And, uh, you know, he was awesome and kind of just, you know, you, you add the running back, you, add, you, have, you now have the quarterback – you got to hope that you can add a receiver not only in the draft but mm-hmm. just with health uh, going to to next season. You still have a pretty solid offensive line, and mm-hmm. you know the Eagles. Unfortunately, it looks like they're gonna have to play either the Forty ers or <laughs> or the Seahawks. But that game will be at home. Mm-hmm. So so looking ahead to the playoffs, let's say that you somehow find it within yourselves to beat the greatest quarterback of all time, Dan- Daniel Jones. Danny Dimes. Yep. Just just joking there, folks. We all know it's Brady, but that. You let's say you beat the Giants next week, and you're going into the first round of the playoffs at home. How confident are you going to face the NFC West second place team? You know, actually, in a lot of ways, I'm I'm pretty confident. Um, that's not to take away anything that the Niners or the Seahawks have done. Those are both two. I've seen a good amount of their football this year. Those are two very very strong football teams, well coached, well quarterbacked, which is the two most important things in the NFL, as we know. Um, but I'm actually I feel I would feel pretty confident because, like I said, eleven Carson Wentz has been playing really good football lately, um, taking care of the ball, finding the right decision. Our young playmakers are stepping up. Our defense at home this season we're allowing about six, almost seventeen points per game at home. On the road we're allowing twenty nine. So our defense at home is just a different animal. Um, like you said, Miles Sanders is really coming alive in a lot of ways. He he's gonna be a big time playmaker for us. But like I said, I think the defense is what has me most excited. And I think there's a very real chance, you know, Garoppolo doesn't have a ton of playoff experience playing. He's, you know, seen a lot of playoff games behind Brady. Uh Shanahan, I'm pretty sure he he's only he hasn't been a head coach for any real playoff games yet. He's only been an OC. Uh, I think there's a very real chance like the Niners come in come into our building thinking like oh that you know all the jokes all the memes this year the nfc east is garbage the nfc east is nothing and they, they get, there's a real good chance they come into the link that 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 place can just get rocking i'm telling you like the link gets rocking they're like oh 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 you know what like it's it's loud in here like we can't 
we can't hear ourselves think like and all of a sudden they're down just like the Cowboys were down maybe 10-3 or 13-3 early and they might still win the game. I'm not saying we're, it's a lock to win, but I actually I, I think if we make the playoffs and we get that home game, I think we could really get on top of these guys. And I think I think it's hard not to look past us a little bit, but I think nobody should should look past Philly at home. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not fully there with you. Uh, I really want to see what happens next week, Niners, uh, Seahawks, and we'll talk a little bit about the Seahawks a little bit later, and obviously me and Taylor will do our preview later in the week. But, you know, those b- both those teams I think are Super Bowl contending teams and I don't think the Eagles are so I think it'll be a close game physical game but you know I, I don't see you guys really advancing in the playoffs but flipping to Dallas what my one question about Dallas and I asked everyone you're you're a pretty close football watcher you watch, you watch a lot of football you know you have a lot of fantasy implications so I'm sure you've had a guy in the Cowboys this year and last year is Dak the 40 million dollar or you know the 40 mil is just like so much is he a 32 million dollar a year quarterback in, in your eyes after seeing him up close at the link on Sunday and also just throughout this throughout the year you know I have a I really have a, like a love-hate relationship with Dak Prescott um first of all I respect what he's done as a mid-round pick you know I do admire he seems to be like a pretty hard worker and a, and a solid guy so it's hard to truly hate a guy like that um the question like you said is about, is about the money I just really don't know what his value his stats say that he's a pretty good he's actually a pretty good quarterback but on the flip side, he has a arguably the best running back in the game after maybe your man Saquon. Saquon, he's got a great offensive line. He's got Amari Cooper, who despite the fact that he drops the ball a decent amount, he's actually a really I think he's a really top notch receiver. You know, maybe one of the top five or six guys in the league. Um, I don't know if he's worth thirty two million, but I'm actually not as negative about him as a lot of Eagles fan are. I, to me, he's a little bit. He's just he's just ahead of mid table. Like he's somewhere around eleventh or twelfth. Because um, I think when things aren't good for him, he really is. He really struggles. But when things are good, it's not just like he's a game manager like Alex Smith was. Like when things are good, he can really like sling that rock, and he can really get. He can start moving himself. He looked in. I know the, the reports were that he was injured, and Eagles fans were like, "Let's not make too much of that." I think he he looked injured. Like he just looked like he was not. He didn't have the same zip to the ball. He looked like he was a little bit scared to take off. Like I think he played. He was playing a little bit hurt. Um, so if I'm the Cowboys, I would definitely feel comfortable bringing him back somewhere between 25 and 20, 28 maybe. But I think I think north of 30, you really you really have to question if that if he's worth it. I'm not sure. I'm probably in the camp of he's not worth it, but I wouldn't I wouldn't crucify the Cowboys for doing that. Gotcha. And you, you know there there could be a lot of changes with the Cowboys next year, and I think a lot of it will determine like their decision with Dak will be who's the who's the head coach and. If if the if they move on from Garrett is is the new head coach is he the guy who wants to build around Dak or does he want his own guy? But spend enough time on the Cowboys as a team that's not going to make the playoffs. Uh, let's move on. We got the Ravens versus the Browns. This game was in Cleveland. The Ravens won thirty-one to fifteen. Lamar put on another show. He was twenty for thirty-one for two hundred thirty-eight yards, three touchdowns through the air. He added another hundred and three yards on the ground. Uh, another good win for the Ravens, winning on the road, a division win. I'm pretty sure they clinched home field advantage for uh, for the AFC, which is huge uh, to, to to get the path through Baltimore. Uh, and Lamar played really well again. I, you know, I was actually at Kelly's house. You know, the 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 OGs of the podcast. I was at Kelly's Hogan's beautiful home in Westfield, New Jersey. We were watching the games, and we and we watched a lot of a lot of this one. And, you know, he was rubbing it in my face about Lamar and how he's the MVP and that Kelly predicted this. And I and I kind of had to, 
you know, I had to take it, you know, Mike, I, I had to take it because I, I, I did laugh at, at him when he said Lamar, long shot MVP, and I said, no way. And when you watch him, he played really well. He made a couple throws, especially his, I think his second touchdown to Mark Andrews was a kind of a bit of a duck off balance throw that maybe shouldn't have been a touchdown. But hey, when everything's going right for you, everything's going, going right. And the Ravens looked good, but my main takeaway was about the Browns. Uh, they're in a lot of trouble. I'm, 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 I'm going to bring this back to the summer. You were a big fan of the Browns, right? I was a believer in some of the Browns' positive upside, yes. Specifically, I remember when we were on vacation together talking football and breaking down the preseason. You, were, you weren't concerned about Freddie Kitchens, were you? No, I was concerned, but I w- I w- he's been worse than I thought. I, w- I would say I thought he showed – as an offensive coordinator, he looked what he looked pretty good. I thought his weaknesses, as uh, you know, maybe a leader um, controlling the locker room, would be overcome by, you know, like I said, like quarterbacking and head coaching are the most important things. I thought that some of his weaknesses in, in the other fields of head coaching would be overcome by his ability to get the most out of Baker. You know, I thought Odell would be having 15, 1,600 yards, Jarvis Landry 1,000 in the slot. Like, that would mask a lot of their weaknesses. But, no, it seems like he's lost a lot of control with the team. You saw that during that ugly Pittsburgh game a few weeks ago. Um, so Kitchens has definitely been a lot worse than I, than, I thought, than I thought he would be. You know, you mentioned Beckham and Landry. Kelly actually – me and Kelly were talking about this on, on Sunday. They're best friends, and they're both really good, but they don't complement each other really well because they both love to run routes on the same parts of the field. They both love the short, quick uh, slants and screens and ins and outs, like just just to get on their hands on the ball to like make a play afterwards. Mm-hmm. And Baker's not an exceptional deep thrower of the football. Right, he's really good. He's accurate. He's really good at those short and, and, and intermediate throws. But if they're but if your two best receivers are always running those routes. It's going to be hard for either one of them to get open because there's not, just not that much space in the field to, to, to catch and do something with the ball afterwards. And then you just send Odell deep. That might be why he's not having a great season, why he's super frustrated is because A, Mayfield's not getting the ball enough. And B, he's being forced to just run down the field, right. do these huge long posts and long outs and comebacks, and he's just not seeing the ball. He's like, dude, if I'm going to run all these routes, like you got to throw me the rock and you know, Mayfield loves throwing him the ball in double coverage when he's when he's going down the field. It's it's amazing. I I wasn't a Baker, you know, true believer at the end of the season. You were a bigger fan of him than than I was, but he really disappointed again on on Sunday. Yeah, I think you you probably hit the nail right on the head there with Odell. I think he's a guy who's prone to some easy frustrations. I don't I you know I, I saw a good amount of him in New York, obviously with you as a fa- big fan of the Giants, and uh, he would always have a nice little day against the Eagles secondary that's been weak the past few years. Um, so I think he's a guy who's prone to frustration too. Um, and I think, like you said, I think he's be, he's probably getting tired of just running these long routes and then watching Baker get sacked. He's tired of doing a you know double post dig move and then seeing a slant go to or you know a dump off to Kareem Hunt where he gets a few yards and gets tackled up. Like I th- I just think the Browns have been overall disappointing, like you said. And um, it was something Colin Coward actually said. I I I try, I try to take everything he says with a grain of salt. But one thing he brought up was that this Browns offense just has so many mouths to feed because Nick Chubb is a really good running back. Kareem Hunt came back. He's another. He's a, he was a top five running back before um, his off field issues. Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr. said, so like, I think at a certain point the Browns have to ask themselves, 
it is, does this really comp like you said, like the complimentary football, like does this complement each other well enough? Like does Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. work on the field? If you were playing Madden, that looks like you have two awesome receivers on the same field, but on but you know life isn't Madden. Like does this really work for us, or does this really is this really going to be what our football identity is about? And what's really interesting too is that you know Nick, the Baltimore defense is good, but Nick Chubb, fifteen carries, forty five yards. Uh, they don't really work him in, in the passing game either. He only had one one target, and, and he didn't cash it. But I remember doing podcasts earlier in the year that Nick Chubb was the best player on the Browns. He was winning them football games and keeping them in a lot of games. And it's it's weird that you know he, he still got 15 carries. And, yes, he wasn't that productive, and they were down in the game, so they were forced to throw a lot more. But you you would think that they would have figured out that Nick Chubb is, is their guy. And you, you would pound the ball with, with Nick Chubb. And he'll open up the field for for the passing and the play action, but I think that this all stems down to that. A, Freddie Kitchens isn't a very good coach. You know, you talk about they were down nine going for two, and yes, the the number said okay, you have to do it, but you should kick the the extra point for the first one and then go for two on the second one because you don't know if this team's going to score again. Like you, like you need to just set it up so that you only need to score once more instead of twice more if, mm-hmm. if you don't get it. And I think it comes down to Kitchens isn't a good enough coach for this team or a good coach in general, and that Baker didn't take a step forward this year. I think he either stayed the same or took a little bit of a step back. But what do you think this Browns team should do going forward? Do they bring back Kitchens or do they try to move on? And, and who would you look to hire? I would probably move on from Kitchens. Um, like I said, it's it's not just that they've been – you know, weak in certain regards or they haven't lived up to expectations. Like, I think when I've seen the Browns play, they look sloppy. They look, undis- they look undisciplined. Uh, it's the penalties. They I, they might lead the league in penalties. Right, right. And not just, like, just the penalties. It's always, like, these bad, ugly penalties that are untimely, unnecessary. Um, like, that's a, I think that Pittsburgh brawl was a real indica- indicator that of a man who has no control of the locker room. They talk about losing the locker room in terms of guys liking the coach. Like, I don't know how much people like Kitchens, but I don't think they fear or respect him enough. Um, I would look to Rivera. I love. I li- I really like Rivera. I think Rivera's a really good guy. I think he's a pretty good football coach. Um, I think he'd bring a lot of stability to the Browns. Um, he's probably not, you know, a top five coach in the league, but you know, it's really hard to find one of those guys. Like, it's really hard. There's a reason Belichick stays around and Harbaugh stays around, and it looks like Peterson's going to stay around for a while. Like, guys who can really win you Super Bowls as a head coach are hard to find. And you know Rivera, he proved he could get to the big game, fifteen and one, with Cam Newton playing awesome. So I think you 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 hope he can reinvigorate some of the defense because they do have some nice defensive pieces in uh, Garrett, uh, Denzel Ward, uh, Greedy Williams. They drafted from LSU this year. Like hope that he can get he can maximize the most out of that those young guys. And I would really just try to try to move forward with him as a, as a real professional. Yeah, I, I also agree that they have to move on from Kitchens because it's not just, you know, you, you can have a not very good coach if the players buy in and mm-hmm. love playing for the guy. Like, that's how Rex Ryan stuck around the league is that Rex Ryan was not a great football coach, but the players bought in and loved to play for him. And I feel like Kitchens has lost the locker room and he's become a joke. Mm-hmm. And he's become a joke on Twitter. He's become a joke around around the league. And he might even be a joke within within the team. But, you know, the the big moment that went viral on Sunday was Odell and Kitchens arguing on the sideline. And the funny thing is neither one of them may, may be a part of the organization in a month or two months because the Odell conundrum, he's really talented, he's really good, but he seemingly is not happy where he is. He 
wasn't happy in, in New York, you know, makes sense because Eli was regressing drastically in, in, in front of his eyes and couldn't get him the ball anymore. He had terrible coaches in Ben McAdoo and Pat Shermer. And here in Cleveland, he, you know, he's not getting the ball enough. And for a team that's not very good. So what do you do with Odell? Because A, if you're the Browns, what do you do? And then if you're in another team, because there has to be, because you can't cut him, because you need to get something back. If you're another team, what are you willing to give up in a trade for, for Beckham? Or would you even try to get him? Well, I definitely think to the second part of what you said, teams will definitely be calling. I mean, he's just, he's too talented. He's too, and too many things have gone wrong for the Browns here for guys to not believe in that talent. Um, I'm one of them, you know, I hated seeing him on Sundays. I never, I never thought he was the best receiver in football. I know you and I argued about that a lot when we were younger, um, but I always. Younger, talk, talk like, you know, five months ago. But I still think, I still think he was like, you know, around two or three, maybe um, on a, on a bad day, five. So I think teams will definitely be calling. I do wonder if they get a first round pick for, or, or I say this year's first round pick, just because he's still he's got a big cap hit now, um, he's older, and now it's not just you know like you said he's struggling with Manning or New York's a frustrating situation. It's like wow he he, did, he couldn't make it work in New York and he couldn't make it make it work in Cleveland. Like, are you taking now? I think that just knocks off a little bit of the price. So I think then if you're the Browns, <clears throat> you say we gave up all this asset these capital form. Um, you just tell your next coach, make it work. And I'm not sure if that's the right decision, but I feel like that's something the Browns are going to end up doing instead of trying to, uh, you know, cut their losses. I would love to see the Eagles make a run at Odell. I will, I will start that bandwagon now. I, I think Carson Wentz, like I said earlier, can be an MVP candidate. Um, he's never had a guy as good as Odell. Um, so I would love to see Wentz just, just work the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. You saw in week one when he had Deshaun Jackson. He'll, he's willing to air it out or – um, work the short routes. I think I would love to see the Eagles make a run at him. Um, but so I think there's definitely be teams that call him. But I think it will be a real question mark about what his real asset value is. I would I would guess it's probably a sec a couple second round picks and probably a mid round pick. Um, maybe like a first round next year and a second or third this year. But I would doubt you're going to get a first round this year or anything resembling like multiple first round picks. Yeah, it's it's interesting because they'll definitely be asking for a first round pick, but I don't know if they'll even be able to to get a second because it's a lot of money. He's now twenty seven. He's got a lot of money left on his contract, and it's proven that you don't really know what you're getting. He, it's you know he'll probably get to a thousand yards. He's at nine hundred fifty four, but you never know with with Baker. Obviously, only three touchdowns this year. Uh, you know it's. It's a really tough decision. I would try to keep him because you're going to have a new coach and hope that the new coach uh, can can fix it. Because when you get into training camp, guys always get hurt and teams always have have needs. And some team will will need a wide receiver, and maybe then you become a, a team that's desperate. Just like think about what the Raiders would have done for a wide receiver with Antonio Brown going on, or or the mm-hmm. Patriots, or. Seattle, you know, teams realize, hey, we might be pretty good. We just need that one extra piece. Let's give up that second or the first for Odell Beckham. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get what you're saying. And uh, like I said, I think if they fire Kitchens, I definitely think they should keep him. Um, like I said, I would love to see Rivera try to make it work. Um, or whoever, you know, maybe they hire one of those college guys like a Lincoln Riley to try to, you know, max. Yeah, so, yes, it's good, good you bring it up. Lincoln Riley, because Lincoln Riley is going to be rumored about for the Dallas job because he's from Texas, and this job because he obviously coached Baker in college, and Baker 
was awesome that year with him, and he won the Heisman, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so under Lincoln Riley, so that's going to be – everyone's going to talk Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley for, for Cleveland, and I, he, he's not going there. You could, I don't think he's going to go to Cleveland. Why would you go to Cleveland? You're leaving one of the best programs ever in college football in Oklahoma. Uh, I don't think that the Baker-Mayfield draw is really going to do it because Baker has proven to be a difficult guy to coach even at Oklahoma, so I don't think that that's the guy who you're going for. Uh, but just talking about Baker for a second. So Baker is an, is an interesting guy. He's had an interesting season. So he, because he is, you know, he's the guy, at, he's the, the leader of the team. So his career stats, obviously it's a little hard because he's only played, he's only played two seasons, but his completion percentage is down from last year. He completed 64% last year. He's hovering around 60 now. He'll probably throw for more yards just because he's played in, played in more games. Obviously less touchdowns, more interceptions. He's had 18 interceptions this year. He's been sacked more. He doesn't look as confident. He, as Stephen A. Smith loves loves to say, the guy's in more commercials than he is, than, than he has wins mm-hmm. in, in the NFL. This seems like a guy, the classic case of we've crowned him too early. Mm-hmm. He got too much hype because he's a great interview. So all these media publications wanted everyone to go out and write these stories about him because he would give great quotes. And he was an interesting guy, walk on to Heisman, to first pick. And it just clearly is like maybe his story is a little more interesting early on than his play on the field. And we've kind of crowned him too early and put the made the expectations way too high. You know, those are all great points. You know, he woke up feeling dangerous. That I remember that last season. That was a great quote. Um, I I do think there's something to that about the media probably built him up a little bit too much for what he was. Um, but I'm also not just gonna. I think he took a step back this year, like you said. Uh, his his he'll throw for more yards, but his yards a game is 30 yards uh, per game less. He's almost, unless he set some kind of NFL record, going to throw for less touchdowns and throw him for more picks. Um, so I just think, I think Baker has really struggled this year. Um, obviously, not ready to to sell to say he's done yet. He's nowhere near done. Uh, he went from like you said, went from a walk on to the Heisman to the first overall pick. Like this is a guy who I think can definitely work hard and really com- recommit to the process. Um, but I think you need a guy to really like coach him hard and really be like be in his face because I think Baker has a lot of that swagger and a lot of that uh you know kind of like macho cockiness to him so I think you need a coach who can really like rein him in at times and then also let him let him be himself and uh basically just call him out on his calling out on his you know what so um I definitely said I think it all goes back to kitchens I think kitchens needs to go um but I'm not ready. I'm not ready to sell out on to you know sell out on Baker yet. But I do think you're absolutely right. He's had a much much weaker season with theoretically much more talent around him. Yeah. So I I agree with you. It'll be interesting to see what happens this off season. Browns obviously not in the playoffs. It'll be interesting to see what they do in the draft and what they do in the off season because they'll have a very interesting off season because they were the sexy pick going to the season. People were saying the sleeper Super Bowl, sleeper sleeper playoffs, and they're back. Picking in the top 15, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. So moving on, Saints-Titans, Mike. Mm-hmm. Saints go into to Tennessee. They win 38-28. Great win for them outside, away from the Dome. Drew Brees was awesome, 27 for 38, 279 yards and, and three touchdowns. Uh, they have, I think they clinched one of the top two seeds, right? 
right. Now as at twelve three, obviously huge game tonight for the, for the playoffs. Packers Vikings, which we'll talk about a little bit at the end here. Uh, but a great win, and, and what really surprised me, Kelly and I watched this game too, is that we couldn't believe that we were watching the the same Ryan Tannehill. It was like, who has now who who what type of quarterback is pretending to be in in his body? Like, did Ryan Tannehill and Tom Brady switch switch places? Because Ryan Tannehill went seventeen for twenty seven, two hundred seventy two yards, and three touchdowns. Yes, he was sacked five times, but he's doing this against the Saints, who have a really good defense, and he was missing Derrick Henry, who might just be the best running back right now in the NFL. I think if Derrick Henry played, the Titans win this game. Obviously, you can't play the what-if game because, you know, you could say, oh, well, if this guy didn't get tackled or if this thing happened or if that thing happened, you know, who knows? But Tannehill played really well. He shocked me. He he averaged 10 yards per attempt. Uh, he he was great, and that was my main takeaway is that this Tennessee team is dangerous. They are 8-7. and seven. Uh, I think with the Steelers lost, the Titans are the sixth seed right now in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And... They're dangerous, and I would be worried if I was a, the three seed facing them because I think they have a good defense. Mike Vrabel shocks me every week that he's a good football coach, and Tannehill's on fire. And it feels weird to say going to the playoffs that I'd be confident with Ryan Tannehill as my quarterback, but that's where we are right right now. No, I mean, I, you again, that's another just great point you make there. Um, I hope the Jets are watching the Titans right now and uh, – seeing what can happen to a quarterback when he escapes the grasp of Adam Gase. Um, I hope uh, they don't waste the prime of Sam Darnold's career doing what they did, what the Miami did to Ryan Tannehill. But you're absolutely right. I remember I saw Ryan Tannehill was going, was uh, going in for the, for the bench, you know, maligned Marcus Mariota. I have Derrick Henry on my fantasy team. So I very much care what happens to the Titans. And I remember thinking like, Oh crap. Like they're going to be down a lot of games. They're going to be in these, they're going to, they're going to have to just pass the ball. They're going to be in shootouts. I was, pretty frustrated and then I, I started watching titans games and i was like is that ryan I, like you said like is that ryan Tannehill? like did he just scramble 15 yards for did he just hit hit aj brown on a strike for like 30 yards like i think you, you you have a very good point i mean the titans jumped out to a 14 nothing lead like you have derrick henry you, you say you really can't play the what if game but you start pounding the ball to that big fella down there like you know he can kill clocks and you know he can just absolutely wear on defenses but even more so than that, like you don't have to say just because you didn't, you know, just because you didn't win the game doesn't mean you're a total loser. Like they they prove that they can be. I think the Saints are as good a team as there is in the NFC, um, and they prove that they can compete with truly one of the, the the five or six best teams in the NFL. And like you said, they're eight and seven. They go nine and seven, be a wild card seed. And like you said, like I think you don't want to see them come into your place. You don't want to see this tough Titans defense. Like I agree with you about Vrabel. I always kind of thought he was a a dingus, but he's really. Uh, I, I mean, I was totally wrong about it. He's he's a great coach. He's coach. He's got a great. He's got a really good defense. Um, and he's getting the most out of Tannehill right now. So I think, like you said, I I, I definitely don't think that's a team you want to see walk into your building. Yeah, and if and if the Titans win next week, if they beat the Texans, they're in. And the Texans already clinched the division. So depending on what the Texans choose to do next week, yeah, because because the Texans have have, beat, have beaten the Chiefs. So mm-hmm. uh, the Texans have something to play for. Is that the Texans can can go get the three seed if Kansas City loses. I don't think Kansas City will lose because I think they're just firing on all cylinders. Right? Who are they playing next week? Right now, uh, Chiefs are playing the Chargers at home. I think they crush them easily. Win that game. Go twelve and four, and they can. You know, you never know with the Pats. They had the tiebreaker over the Pats. They could get that that two seed. But if Tennessee wins next week, they're in. 
And I just want to read some stats about Ryan Tannehill because, because you know, I was making fun of Ryan Tannehill. You were making fun of Ryan Tannehill. But it really shows, like, you leave Adam Gase and you get a little more confident in, in a new system. So Ryan Tannehill's 2014 season in Miami, he had a 66% completion percentage through for just over 4,000 yards, 27 touchdowns, and 12 interceptions. The next year, he completion percentage dropped to 62%, but threw for more yards, 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. The biggest thing about Ryan Tannehill has just been him keeping – care or taking care of the football and not turning it over because he would always have he had 12 interceptions three years in a row he had 17 his his second year the big thing was turnovers and this year in with Tennessee in 11 games he's completing 71 percent of his passes which is huge and a large part of that is the running game it's it opens up the whole field and AJ Brown's really broken out and he's had 20 touchdowns and only six interceptions and he's averaging way more yards per completion than he ever has before. So mm-hmm. there's just a guy who's in a new system, flourishing in it, and Kelly was right again. Kelly said that the Titans would make the playoffs and that Ryan Tannehill would, would be the quarterback. And once again, I was like, no way, Kelly. You're totally wrong. And Kelly was completely right. Uh, I think Tannehill set himself up to get a nice little contract here with uh, with Tennessee. Oh, absolutely. And I think uh, this is going to be his best chance to make some real money as he gets older. Um and I think I think Tennessee has to reward him. He's six and three right now as the starter. Obviously, um, like you say, we, they got to win next week to make the playoffs. But you say there's a guy who's like, wow, he's won, he won seventy percent of his game as a starter. Um, we still got Derrick Henry on a rookie con- on a rookie contract for another year or two. Uh, he made he makes the playoffs. Wins seventy percent of his games. Yards yards touchdowns all up. Taking care of the football. Like I think Tennessee says, like you know what, let's get this done. Like let's not fool around with this. Like we're we're, we don't want to trade up trade up yet for one of those young guys like a Burrow or a Tua. Um, I think you sign him to something like a three- or four-year good money deal that both sides are happy. Um, you probably don't give him one of those true like six or seven years like Garoppolo or Wenscott because that's probably um, going to take him a little bit too far past. Uh, he's 31 right now, so you probably don't, we don't want to bank on him being great when he's 38 years old. But I think you lock him up till he's 34, 35. We've seen quarterbacks and absolutely produced at that age. You have, like I said, you have Derrick Henry with him. Um, that receiver, A.J. Brown is his name, has started to look awesome. So you say, like, wow, they got a really good receiver, an awesome offensive line. I haven't shouted them up. I don't know if you had Taylor Luan, Jack Conklin. That's a really good offensive line there. Uh, Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. Again, like, as funny as it sounds, it's like, wow, that's a really – that's a real offensive, like, core you've got there. Like, you now, you, you know, you'll find some pieces, maybe a scat back, another receiver – uh, maybe a tight end or two in the draft or something, but overall, like that's a core that I think you feel really confident in with the next couple couple of years. Yeah, so we're definitely going to take them seriously going into the playoffs. Moving on, because uh, you know we you know we can talk about the Saints, but they're really good. Michael Thomas set the single season catch mm-hmm. record. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be talking about them in the playoffs because they won the game that they should win. They're great. You know how, how many times can we say that they're really good? Right. right? right. You know. So moving on, last game of the week that of week 16 that I want to recap with you, Mike, was the Seahawks surprisingly, very surprisingly, losing to the Arizona Cardinals at home, which I found really surprising. They, the Cardinals go in there. They went, they, they, they win the game 27 to 13. Uh, Russell Wilson didn't play great. He was 16 for 31, only 169 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Taylor was talking about when we were talking about the MVP that Wilson really needed to put up huge numbers this week and next week for him to win the to get back in the talk of the MVP and he didn't. Lamar had a great game, so 
Lamar definitely 100,000% is going to win the MVP this year. Uh, the biggest thing that I take away from this about the Seahawks is not only did, did they lose, but they suffered a lot of injuries. They have suffered a lot of injuries in this one. Chris Carson hurt his hip out for the season. Offensive tackle Dwayne Brown out. You know, that's just one of the couple ones that I saw. And going to the playoffs, a lot of times it's not the best team that wins. It's the healthiest team mm-hmm. that, that wins. And Seattle is not healthy. And they're talking about mulling a – you know, I saw the headline that they're mulling a reunion with Marshawn Lynch because they just need a running back. Yeah. I think their backup running back also got, got hurt. I think C.J. Pros also got hurt. Mm-hmm. So – I'm I'm a little concerned about Seattle now. Yeah, when uh, Seattle plays Philadelphia, they played Philadelphia. There's a there's a art there's a website I read called Bleeding Green Nation. It's a bunch of media members from the Eagles blog reports, and they actually do interest for SB Nation. If anyone's trying to check it out, and I always trust beat reporters. Beat reporters have just an incredible sense of the team. The Eagles beat reporters do, and when I've read other B reporters of other teams, it's amazing how accurate they are about their own team. So I'm, as something Stephen A. Smith says a lot, I'm always giving love and credit to beat reporters because they're the guys who are around the team every single day. Like, they know what's going on. And one thing, this has a point, don't worry, They uh, the Eagles beat reporter interviewed another Seahawks beat reporter for, you know, the preview of the game. And he said the Seahawks have this, this in, sort of incredible ability that just guys hang around with them. Like, Teams are really able to hang around with the Seahawks this season. And he was like, so we have these moments where, yes, Russell looks like the MVP and Chris Carson trucks a dude and DK Metcalf looks like a, a physical freak. And he's like, but then there's also games where he's like, team just hang around. He's like, so if the Eagles win, it'll be because they just hung around and the Seahawks just couldn't take care of business. And that's what this game strikes me as. Like they went in probably thinking that they were going to, they were going to handle a, a Cardinal scene that's been competitive, but not great this year. Um, thought that they could take care of business. And, you know, then all of a sudden they get hit by the Kenyon Drake train, uh, seven yards of carry, two touchdowns, like, you know, puts up over 150 yards. Like, I think it's a team that probably was – was it was a little bit of a trap game. And um, I think you're right. Some of the concerns about Seattle uh, are definitely merited. Yeah, this was the classic trap game. You get Arizona at home, the team that was 4-9-1 and nine and one coming into it. It's a classic, hey, we've – we can take care of these guys. We can just beat them. They're not very good. Looking ahead to the big San Francisco showdown next week to determine who wins the, the division. And, you know, you you kind of wish if, if you're Seattle, hey, if we knew that we were going to lose, could we have just forfeited because of just the injuries they suffered? So, obviously, Chris Carson and C.J. Prost. Carson, Carson hurt his hip. Prosey hurt broke his arm out for the season. Dwayne Brown needed knee surgery during the week. Uh, Josh Gordon obviously got suspended again indefinitely so they lose a big weapon on the outside during the week and they had a bunch of starting guys on defense miss this game too Sha- Shaquille Griffin starting cornerback Javion Clowney missed the game their safety Quandre Diggs missed, missed the game guard Mike Ayupati missed game missed time during he got hurt during the game because of a stinger seems like he'll be back and he's and he's okay but mm-hmm. if you know <laughs> he's had so many injuries it's it's like it, when it all comes comes at once it, it can be really devastating for a team and and I wonder how they're going to bounce back next week for, for the 49ers. Well, you're right. There's definitely a lot of concerns, um, especially if, be, if they have to have a you know, beast mode coming out of retirement to be their running back. I think that definitely concerns me. Um, but I think if you're a Seahawks fan, you still have to hope that Russell Wilson, definitely not the MVP this year because of how awesome Lamar is, but he's definitely one of those three or four uh, top guys who have been playing this season um i think you hope wilson uh 
shows out. I think Carol is the game home or away. It's at Seattle. I think you hope the twelfth man comes up and shows shows out hard for you guys. I think you hope uh, the defense is able to ball out. Uh, I think it's going to be a great game. That's the game I'm most looking forward to watch after watching the Eagles clinch the NFC East. Yeah, so it will definitely be very interesting to tell. Uh, we'll, me and Taylor will break that game in down full detail towards towards the end of the week once we know a little bit more about the injuries and getting ready for for Week 17. That's always always a blast. So last game of the week, just very very quickly, it's tonight Monday night game. Packers Vikings. Who you got? I'm gonna go with the Pack. Um, I think Aaron Aaron Rodgers having a great season. Um, I am not a believer in Kirk Cousins, or as he's affectionately referred to around the Philadelphia area, Kirk Coupons, because uh, he's a discount quarterback. Uh, I just don't believe in him. I, I his stats against winning or good teams are just horrifically underwhelming. Like if you look him up, he just he doesn't win against teams that are over eight and eight, and in a more stunning fashion, he doesn't win against teams with play, with a playoff record with, or are going to make the playoffs. So I think the Pack are going to be able to take care of business here. Uh, Dalvin Cook isn't playing, so even more pressure is on, is on uh, Kirk Cousins' shoulders. Um, I'm not saying I'm going to you know crucify him if he loses, uh, but I just don't believe he's going he's gonna to get a win here. Yeah, so I you know, predicted with Taylor, Packers win, same thing. Just don't know if Cousins on prime time against a really good team can pull through. I'm, I'm rooting for the guy because you always want to see guys change the the story arc about about their stories. But I think I think Packers win. So we're wrapping up. So we're gonna give Michael three minutes. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna set a timer. He's got three minutes to talk about Star Wars. So if you haven't seen Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker, turn off the podcast right now. No one, I I, I won't be offended at all. This is the spoiler warning the official spoiler warning michael's gonna get three minutes to talk about star wars the rise of skywalker he's a huge fan so if you haven't seen episode nine the new movie turn off the podcast now all right mike three minutes break down the new movie for us well i actually thought it was really good it's definitely my favorite of the sequels um you know i've always been a fan of the act explain what the sequels are sure so it's the force awakens the Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker. Now, you and I have had some pretty big disagreements about The Last Jedi. Um, I thought it was easily the worst installation of any of the, at that time, eight major movies. And honestly, even worse than The Phantom Menace or Attack of the Clones. Oh, to me, it was easily worse than either of those movies because here's the thing, and it's what I'll, I'll defend the prequels for to my grave about. Well, The Phantom Menace, you're right, has cringy moments of dialogue and aw- some awkward um, acting, maybe some bad CGI. There is nothing in the in the Last Jedi that's to me even remotely as as cool as Duel of the Fates or even Pod Racing. Like there were just the the uh, the I talked about this with our uncles the other day. The highs of the prequels to me just so outweigh the like occasional like oh I hate sand by Hayden Christensen's like the fight with Count Dooku, uh, the dro like the droid and the clones finally going at it for the first time. Like so much of that stuff like the the pinnacles to me, top off anything else um, that happened in the sequels up to this point. Now, The Last Jedi, The last, the, the Rise of Skywalker, I was pleasantly surprised. I really liked it. I thought <clears throat> I thought Daisy Ridley, the, the actress who plays Rey, really came up, uh, portrayed, you know, struggle, uh, struggling um, within her identity really, really well. I thought... FN2187 or John Boyega, uh, who plays Finn, was awesome as always. Um, I think Poe, I don't know, who, who, what's the actor's name who plays Poe? 
Uh, Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac. I think he carries the Han Solo-esque feel. By the way, again, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. If you still haven't turned the podcast off, Harrison Ford makes a nice guest appearance to talk Adam Driver, who plays Ben Solo, a.k.a. Kylo Ren, into finally accepting the good side. Um, I like the ending. Again, spoiler, uh, where Kylo Ren helps uh, basically give Rey back her help save Ray from death with uh, manipulating the mini chlorians um, that uh, Palpatine, that's a skill only Emperor Palpatine had, but being the granddaughter of, of Palpatine, she was able to manipulate it herself too. Um, there was some foreshadowing about that. I liked um, early in the movie. She helps heal that uh, wounded animal um, by manipulating the, the mini chlorians. And I was like, and I literally thought in the theater, I was like, that really is, that's, that, that's something that, you know, the Emperor said that the path side, the dark side of the force is a pathway to many ability, abilities some would believe to be unnatural. I was like, huh. And then when they, they revealed that uh, she's the granddaughter of Palpatine, I was like, that took guts. I really thought she was going to be a Skywalker by blood. They were going to come up with some, you know, like, oh, Luke had some child you didn't know about. Or like Leia, you know, they they, they threw her out with the bathwater or something like that. I, my personal theory was that. Um, they saw what Kylo Ren became and out of fear basically had her sent away. Um, but that they didn't do that. They subverted my expectations. Um, not a perfect movie. Never, never is such a thing. But I was pleasantly surprised. What do you think? Yeah, I thought it was solid. I, uh, you know, it was very, very clear that J.J. Abrams was not a fan of Rian Johnson's uh, The Last Jedi Episode 8 because he spent pretty much the first hour of the movie, you know, I wouldn't say he was getting rid of the story arc that the episode eight uh laid out but he definitely brought us you know the, the, the episode eight was criticized for it being like a new or not really traditional star wars story and jj abrams immediately brought us back to the traditional star wars story that we all kind of love but we've seen before mm-hmm. and so uh i definitely like the movie it's very enjoyable it's a fun ride the first hour is really really fast because they're trying to you know, Abrams is trying to set up not only the plot for this movie, but it's clearly like, okay, the first hour is like, this is what I would have had episode eight be if I had, if I could go back and direct that movie. Like, this is how I would set up the plot. Mm-hmm. And then the last hour and a half is he resolves the whole uh, trilogy. And really, it's so hard to do. He's resolving the whole, because it's the last film of the Skywalker story arc. He's trying to resolve the whole Skywalker story arc again after episode six did so it's a very challenging audacious thing he tried to do and i i thought he pulled it off pretty well you know part of why i liked episode eight was that it was different was that it wasn't traditional star wars it was you know it was cool seeing emperor palpatine get defeated again but then at the same time it's like didn't we already do this like it was awesome and there was great moments and but at the same time it was like wait we did this already in in episode six, but it's still a really enjoyable movie. Uh, I'm a bigger fan of episode eight than than you were because it set up the Kylo Ren as being like the main bad guy, which I would really, really like instead of him going on the Anakin story arc of like finding the good in him. It's it, you know, J.J. Abrams wanted to stick to the traditional Star Wars story and not reinvent it and do something that would and hurt and antagonize a lot of the fans who love the George Lucas stories. And, I commend that. I respect that. It's really hard to be bold and different and take that huge risk with such a huge, huge franchise with so much money on on the line. But it's definitely a really fun movie. It's definitely very, very in, uh, enjoyable. Uh, but clearly, like Abrams was trying to make up for at the very beginning, not directing episode eight. 
But I, I agree with you. I thought I, I thought the acting was really good. Daisy Ridley is a great actress. Obviously, Adam Driver is a brilliant actor. Uh, John Boyega, who plays Finn, is good. Oscar Isaac's very good. Obviously, it's just a well-acted, well-thought-out film. Really fun, really enjoyable. Uh, the ending, if you're a true Star Wars fan like like me, will make you cry some some grown man tears. But you know, it was it was definitely good. I'm definitely gonna rewatch it and rewatch it, and definitely have more opinions as I watch it more more than once as, as I have now. But I thought it was a solid film. Yeah, I actually, I just want to address one or two the points you made here. I know we got over the three minute limit, uh, but 180 seconds is just not enough to discuss Star Wars. Uh, I think I think it's funny that you said about about Kylo Ren because I actually thought the one thing that I've, I've found pretty consistent across the the new sequel trilogy has been Ren's conflict. I thought in the Force Awakens, you see him with like the you know like the fake mask trying to be Darth Vader, like, like that's the whole thing, right? He's trying to be Darth Vader. He's he's not. He's trying like he's short, basically trying to like fit this role. Then in Johnson's trilogy, Snoke tells him like take that ridic- ridiculous mask off to try to prove himself. He tries to bring himself to kill Leia, but he can't, although other TIE fighters try to, you know, succeed in blowing up her bridge even though they don't kill her specifically. So I actually thought the all the real consistent brush stroke in uh all three movies were Ren's was Ren uh following a little bit of an Anakin uh you know arc of really conflicted, but it's almost the reverse. Like, Ren thinks he should be this powerful Sith because of who his grandfather is, but instead realizes, uh, you know, the good in him and tries to be the uh, the good version of himself, where an Anakin felt like he should be good and he should be this, you know, beacon of hope and happiness, but instead he, uh, you know, became evil. And the one thing I would say, again, going back to the prequels, the thing that, that really hurts the sequels, like you said, is the is the different is the different directors to me. Like Abrams, clearly, like you said, clearly didn't didn't like Johnson's trilogy. Tries to retcon some stuff. Uh, tries to you know really ignores. Doesn't really borrow much from the film. It's the film that seems like the least involved in the trilogy. That's the only thing I also give credit to the prequels because say what you will about them, George Lucas clearly had a vision for those movies. He clearly clearly knew he was like all right here's where everyone's gonna be and here's where everyone's gonna end and here's how they're gonna get there and that's why i will say i respect the heck out of him for like i respect that he was like anakin's gonna start as a kid as a boy afraid of losing his mother who loses his mother um and then is because of that is so afraid to lose his wife he's willing to do anything to protect her and like that's sort of like the arc of the story basically the tragedy of you know uh fear anger Fear leads to anger, and anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. Is what Yoda tells him. Um, so I will say I respect. That's one thing I also respect the sequel, the prequels for is that, that vision. But again, like you said, like at the end, uh, Ray looking off into the distance, and those two sons of Tantu of, on Tat- Tatooine that we we've, we've grown to know and love. She made her own lightsaber. She you know put away Luke and Leia's like it, a very you know symbolic of wrapping up and clo- coming to a close of the Skywalker saga. Um, and the last thing I'll say about the Emperor Palpatine thing is I just don't mind seeing him again because to me in the original trilogy, he wasn't even the main antagonist. Like Vader, it was Vader versus Luke, but the Emperor just at the end was the guy who was like, then you will suffer the same fate. And like, you know, shocked him up real nice. I don't think he was the main antagonist. I kind of liked that in this movie, we got to see him like really powerful. Like he was sucking the, he was literally sucking the life force out of people and, uh, like when did he learn that power? No, but that's the thing is like if you're to me if you're if you really pay attention to the prequels, he one of the, the first thing he says to Anakin, the thing that basically plants the seed in Anakin's uh, turn is he says, 
that he, his master, he doesn't say at the time, but Darth Plagueis had the ability to manipulate chlorians to create and save life. But it wasn't a power that the Jedis could learn. And that's where he says the line, it's in the, the Rise of Skywalker too, but it's, it first happened in, the Revenge, in Revenge of the Sith. It says, the dark side of the Force is the pathway to many abilities that some believe to be unnatural. So that's where he learned that. That's why I like that. It was almost, that's why I almost like the sequels actually did a great job of connecting even to the prequels. Like obviously it's connected to the original trilogy. It's immediately afterwards. But then he's like, they're bringing in lines from Revenge of the Sith and powers that were discussed about, but not really advertised. So I like that. I like, <clears throat> I, like that we, <clears throat> I like that we saw it wasn't all just smoke and mirrors. It was really legitimate, like ability of the Sith to create and manipulate life. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So we've gone way, way over, way over, way over. So just Mike, thank you so much for for coming on the podcast. Uh, I'm gonna edit. This will probably be dropped as as its own one because it was, it was really good. I was, you know, I, I was a little worried about uh, about how you do for for first time, and you know, but you 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 did great. And so thanks for coming on. We're gonna now you've earned another potential repeat appearance with uh with your performance today in the in the football playoffs. And who knows, maybe a little basketball. Maybe we got we got to test uh. Your thoughts on on the NBA season in private and in our own discussion before we put it on on the pod. So, Mike, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, for everyone listening, take care, have a great holiday, and we'll be back tomorrow with Coach Sass. Make it a great day.